Thank you all for being here. My apologies. We were at the meeting at the White House. This meeting of the uh, subcommittee on the Western Hemisphere will come to order. Again, I apologize to our nominees. We were at the White House. It took a few minutes um, uh, to get here. My apologies to the ranking member. With that, I'm going to, defer, I'm going to defer my opening statement for the, in the interests of uh, your time and that of the ranking member and, and just defer to him if, if he has an opening statement. Well, Mr. Chairman, uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to keep it really brief compared to what I normally would do. Not that it's long, but I would, I'm going to keep this one really brief. Uh, I'll just say that as we often do on this committee, despite our presence in it, we overlook the Western Hemisphere. But on migration, trade, and national security, what happens in our own hemisphere impacts us here in the United States most directly. So it's critical that we have capable, experienced professionals representing the United States and our embassies in the hemisphere. So to our career nominees, we salute your service and we welcome your insight. And Mr. Day, we look forward to hearing from you as well, and I'll defer the, the rest, Mr. Chairman. Thank you to the ranking member, and, uh, and, and uh, again, my apologies for it. I hate being late. With that, let me introduce the nominees. I'll introduce you for your opening statements, and then we can go in, in, into questions. Uh, obviously, we, we have a one panel testifying today, the Honorable Luis Arriaga of Virginia to be the ambassador to Guatemala, um, Ms. Sharon Day of Florida to be the ambassador to Costa Rica, and Mr. Krishna Urs to be the ambassador to Peru. They all have impressive resumes. Mr. Arriaga was appointed principal deputy assistant secretary of state for the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement in January 2016. He is responsible for the State Department's programs combating illicit drugs and organized crime. Ms. Day is someone I know personally and known for a significant period of time. She's a dedicated person. She's a hard worker. She's a friend and someone that under different circumstances I'd be at the table presenting her, but we're up here, so I'm presenting you now, and, and, and I'm happy you're here today. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, encouraged that the president nominated you, and I know if confirmed you will represent our country well in Costa Rica. Uh, Krishna Orz has served the Department of State and the American people for more than 31 years, and that includes posts in the Dominican Republic, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Mexico. He's served as the director of the Office of Economic Policy in the Bureau of Western Hemisphere Affairs, and given his wealth of experience in the region, uh, we are encouraged to, today to hear from him about his views on how to lead this embassy. We thank you all for being here today, and, and we'll begin uh, with uh, uh, Ambassador Arriaga. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Ranking Member Menendez, I am honored to appear before you as President Trump's uh, nominee to serve as United States Ambassador to Guatemala. If you allow me to indulge a bit, I would like to acknowledge my wife, Mary, to whom I owe everything, and my beloved family who are here with me today, back here somewhere. If confirmed by the Senate, I will work with the Congress and our Guatemalan partners to meet the commitments made by President Jimmy Morales and Vice President Pence in mid-June when they met in Miami. Our common agenda has three pillars, prosperity, governance, and security. Of particular note will be an emphasis on fighting corruption, narco-trafficking, gangs, trafficking in persons, and strengthening the rule of law. If confirmed, I would also work to create conditions to attract investment and to protect human rights, labor rights, and advance health, nutrition, and education, especially in the Western Highlands of Guatemala. Ultimately, however, my duty will be first and foremost to the American people. I thank you for the privilege of appearing today and welcome your questions. We thank you. Stay welcome, and it's great to see you here. Nominee to represent the United States as ambassador to the Republic of Costa Rica. 
I am humbled by both President Trump and Secretary of State Tr Tillerson's trust, and I am mindful of the responsibilities that are being asked of me to share our country's principles of freedom and democracy and to protect our mission family and all Americans in country. I want to thank my loved ones, my family and friends for their love, support, and guidance, and especially for all their encouragement on this journey. I have been blessed to witness firsthand Costa Rica's natural beauty and her biodiversity, its rich culture, and the kindness of its people. The United States and Costa Rica share a long and close relationship that centers on both our country's commitments to democratic principles, strong commercial ties, and the relationship between our people. The strong bilateral relationship between our two countries is strengthened by our long-standing and meaningful ties, which are something I have witnessed firsthand in my home state of Florida. If confirmed, I look forward to working with our professional embassy team and to continue to build on the long history of bilateral cooperation on regional and global issues. Thank you for your time and your consideration, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Ms. Urs. Chairman Rubio, uh, Ranking Member Menendez. I'm sorry, uh, Chairman Rubio, Ranking Member Menendez. Uh, it's a great honor to appear before you today as President Trump's nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Peru. I'm very pleased also to have family members with me, my wife, Denise, who's also everything to me, and my son, David. Um, unfortunately, my daughter, Katie, uh, could not be here today. Uh, the Republic of Peru is a steadfast partner in a sometimes turbulent region. Successive Peruvian administrations have pursued market-based economic and trade policies yielding two decades of robust, inclusive growth. As Peru's economy has boomed, the country has taken a more active role internationally, leading efforts to resolve Venezuela's current crisis and agreeing to host the Summit of the Americas in April 2018. But some significant challenges remain. Transnational organized crime, persistent rural poverty, weak institutions, environmental degradation, and endemic corruption threaten the country's progress. In President Kuczynski and his government, we have a strong partner. U.S. government programs in the country advance U.S. priorities by supporting Peru's efforts to combat transnational criminal networks, address remaining pockets of poverty, and halt environmental degradation. Mr. Chairman, for many of the 31 years that I have been in the Foreign Service, I've been fortunate to work on Western Hemisphere issues. If confirmed, I look forward to working with our truly extraordinary U.S. mission team in Peru to advance our interests, ensure the safety and welfare of all Americans and U.S. government employees, and to further strengthen bilateral relations. I look forward to working with the, the committee in the furtherance of these goals. I'm happy to answer any questions now or in the future. Thank you for all being here. I'm going to begin with just uh, two questions to the all three of you panel. The answers I don't think would be would take long, and then I'm going to turn it over to the uh, the ranking member for his series of questions. The first question is: Is many of you are aware the president recently announced a change in policy towards Cuba? As we know that the U.S. policy towards Cuba has often been a point of uh, contention with our friends and allies in the Western Hemisphere. And I just want the assurances of, of each of you that uh, it, irrespective of whatever personal views you may have about that policy, are you prepared, willing, able, and determined to defend the policy decisions of this administration in our interactions uh, with the countries in which you will be representing the United States? Ambassador Ariana. Senator, you can count on me in terms of uh, supporting all of the president's policies, regardless of what I think personally. Thank you, Senator, for the question, and yes, I will. Thank you for the question, Senator, and I will as well. The, the second challenge in the hemisphere, as we're all aware of, is the deteriorating situation in Venezuela. It is my sincerest hope that in combination with the countries that each of you, if confirmed, will be serving, 
along with uh, the, the other four G5 nations in the hemisphere, Mexico, Canada, uh, Brazil, and Argentina, we can pursue a way forward that restores the democratic order in, in Venezuela in a way that we hope is peaceful and leads to reconciliation. It is our hope that that can be done in conjunction with our partners in the region. It is possible, however, that uh, the administration, as they have signaled, are prepared to act unilaterally if necessary should the um, uh, illegal and unconstitutional con constitutional assembly in Venezuela move forward on the 30th of July. Are each of you committed and prepared, able, and willing to defend such unilateral measures on the part of the administration if that is the direction they go with regards to uh, punishing those responsible for uh, basically trying to nullify the democratic process in Venezuela? Thank you for your question, and the answer is yes. Thank you, Senator, and of course, we will do all that can to confirm democracy and freedom across the globe. Thank you, Chairman. Yes, absolutely. The ranking member. Well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I got worried uh, that somehow the lunch consumed you, so uh, <laughs> I'm glad to see that you're back with us, and uh, we're happy to, to be here with you. Congratulations to all of the nominees. For, uh, it's, a, it's a significant honor to be named or nominated to be the United States Ambassador to any country in the world. Um, and so we congratulate you and all of your families because families are part of uh, the sacrifice that is made here. And so we appreciate your families being here. Uh, let me start with you, uh, Ms. Day. Um, so what's your view? Uh, first of all, do you, uh, and I'm, I ask these questions of all of the nominees. I'm gonna turn around and ask each one of them, but because I'm creating a historical precedent here, uh, or following a historical precedent led by others, not that I believe in it, but I wanna make sure we continue it. So you said you visited Costa Rica. Yes, Senator, I have. Okay. Do you speak Spanish? I do not, Senator. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's, that's not disqualifying as far as I'm concerned, but for some it has been for other nominees. So uh, let me uh, ask you, what do you see is the main uh, items that you'll be engaged in as our U.S. ambassador in Costa Rica? What do you see as the top three things that your mission will be uh, if you are confirmed? I think the top issue is to make sure that the mission runs um, in a manner that is the best use of our taxpayers' dollars and the opportunity to promote the safety and security of not just um, our friends and staff and members of the mission team, but also all Americans in country, and then to help with security issues to protect, help Costa Rica protect its borders and stop the infrastructure that is happening with narcotics. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's... Uh your uh, evaluation of, uh, I don't know if you've had any uh, briefings about the U.S.-Costa Rican Joint Patrol Agreement that we have been involved in intercepting illicit narcotics destined for the United States. Have you had a chance to be briefed on that? you have any sense of it? I've had some briefing information on it, Senator. Thank mm -hmm. you for your question. The one instance that we do, it's a very great bilateral partnership with Costa Rica. They understand the importance of security in their countries mm -hmm. and the problems that narcotics coming into its country for transportation and warehousing is an important issue. And they work very strongly with us as well as um, the information and the staffing, the tools, the training, and the equipment that the United States is giving to Costa Rica for this cause. Mm -hmm. Now, Costa Rica has borne part of a significant share of addressing the crisis of unaccompanied minors from Central uh, America. 
the last administration developed a comprehensive strategy for engagement in Central America that was largely in line with something we call the Alliance for Prosperity. Uh, how uh, do you believe the United States should be engaged with Costa Rica as it relates to this question of within Central America, since it's one of the key Central American countries, and with the question of uh, the flow of migrants Thank you, Senator, for that question. And if conferred, we'll continue to work with the mission to make sure this happens. Costa Rica understands that there is an issue there, and from that end of it, we have worked very hard with the United States, again, with the training, with judicial training, some, um, again, efforts in place and systems in place to help those that have been trafficked to protection of it. So we'll continue for um, to work with them. We're working with them on language that meets uh, UN regulations to strengthen that position. So we will continue at the mission if confirmed. I will be glad to lead that support and effort for our country and to help the Costa Rican people. Finally, uh, it's not a question, but more of a statement. Uh, I hope, I know the chairman, I and the chairman of the full committee have very much engaged in the question of human trafficking. Uh, and uh, while Costa Rica is a great ally in so many different ways, I hope that you will pay some attention when you are confirmed uh, to looking at the question of human trafficking in Costa Rica as part of your mission. Can we get you to say that? I will. Thank okay. you, Senator. It'll be a high priority, and thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Ambassador Ariega, uh, you have a distinguished career serving in a variety of posts, so let me thank you for your service up front. Uh, only in America can someone who was born in Guatemala become a United States citizen and return as the United States ambassador to Guatemala. So it's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary story. It's also a great example of how immigration can be a positive thing for our country. Uh, so we salute you. Uh, I want you to uh, follow on the question I asked Ms. Day about uh, do you believe the U.S. strategy for engagement in Central America has been successful? What do you see are some of the major challenges as, as someone who is going to be in one of the uh, key countries that we are engaged with, particularly as it relates to the movement of uh, unaccompanied minors and others? Uh, Guatemala is one of those. Well, talk to me about what, what your views are on that. Thank you for your question, Senator. This is an issue which I have been working with over the last three years. We have a, a very clear agenda to deal with these problems with Central America, and with Guatemala specifically. As I mentioned earlier, President Jimmy Morales met with Presi Vice President Trump in Miami, and they laid out a plan to deal with the three pillars of our engagement, prosperity, governance, and security. What we are going to be focusing on particularly on the, the drivers of migration are security and the lack of economic opportunity. The prosperity piece is designed to address the lack of economic opportunity and we're focusing it on the Western Highlands where most of the migrants come from. The security piece is absolutely essential because it is, it is a driver of, of, of migration and we have, I think, made significant progress in reducing crime rates, particularly in the areas where U.S. assistance has been provided, which is in, in, in training the police, in establishing community policing, and in working with the, with the NGO community, particularly in the, most, in, the most, uh, in the areas we have the highest crime. And underlying all of this is, of course, our efforts to support President Morales' uh, efforts to fight corruption. CICIG 
is a pillar of that. This is an institution that we have been supporting for years. We will continue to support because it has shown that it can actually address the problem of corruption in a systematic way. I'm glad you mentioned CC because that was my next question to you. Uh, it has been, I agree, a, a very positive uh, and innovative and successful justice model. But I have heard some alarming reports, uh, including from Commissioner Ivan Velasquez Gomez himself, uh, that it may be coming under pressure from the powers uh, that be in Guatemala. It's been the U.S. policy to support CC, which has not only been successful at addressing impunity in Guatemala, but also served as a model for other countries in the region. So is it your intention uh, upon your confirmation to be a voice in support of CCEG on behalf of the administration? Thank you for your question. And the answer is an unqualified yes. CCEG is a underlying uh, linchpin for our efforts in Central America, in, in Guatemala. Uh, Mr. Ors, uh, I have been very concerned about reports of increased coca production in Colombia and have concerns about the impact that this will have on transnational criminal organizations in the region. So have you had an opportunity to assess Peru's new national strategy against illicit drugs? And if so, what, what's your views of it? Yes, uh, uh, thank you very much for the que that question, Mr. Senator. Uh, the, the Peru earlier this year uh, issued a, a new strategy uh, that runs from 2017 to 2021. It is an integrated strategy that attempts to, comprehensive strategy that attempts to attack uh, narcotics trafficking and transnational criminal efforts in a broad range of areas. Uh, it looks at interdiction, eradication. It sets a target of 25,000 hectar, uh, hectares of eradication each year uh, for, the, for the five year period. Um, it has also uh, alternate development as one of the pillars of it. Uh, and it has some other elements, health, and some other reform elements. Uh, so uh, we, have, um, we have supported Peru's uh, counter-narcotics efforts and efforts against transnational crime for, for, for an extended period of time. Uh, and uh, the country has made in, important inroads in terms of dealing with the problem. I think when we look at the total amount of, of uh, hectares of coca, uh, there, the numbers have come up and down as they have in many countries around the region. But when we look at the areas of the country that are now largely free of coca cultivation, Upper Wayaga Valley, Monson, we find coca cultivation uh, concentrated in smaller and smaller parts of the country. Uh, so uh, I think our feeling is that uh, Peru has been somewhat successful in this effort and that we ought to uh, continue to support their efforts. Mm -hmm. Have you visited Peru? I have. I spent four wonderful years in Peru from 1996 to 2000 as the economic counselor there. Do you speak Spanish? I do. Okay. Now, uh, two last questions, if I may, Mr. Chairman. Uh, what do you see as the most significant bilateral issues of confirmed that you will be dealing with as it relates to Peru? Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Senator. We have four items that we list generally as our top priorities in Peru. They are uh, combating transnational crime, and that includes not only drug trafficking, but also uh, illegal mining and uh, illegal logging. Actually, it's estimated that uh, illegal gold mining may produce as much revenue, $2.6 billion in illegal revenue, as is pr as produced by, uh, by, uh, by, uh, by narcotics activity. 
Uh, and then in addition, legal logging is, is also increasingly a problem. These, these types of issues, the illegal logging and legal mining, also bring with them problems uh, of trafficking in persons, uh, environmental degradation. So there's a whole series of associated problems that are, that are there with these other illegal activities. And of course, with, with narcotics as well, narcotics production also causes uh, very, very severe environmental degradation. So that's a top priority. We want to help the Peruvians in their efforts. They're front and center on this. We're being supportive of them. Uh, so the main burden falls on them. We also have uh, uh, an institutional reform program that we're working with the government of Peru. This is, again, their, their effort. We're being supportive. They're looking at dealing with issues about weak institutionality, corruption, those kinds of things, by trying to move to an adversarial uh, system of justice so that rather than the civil system, uh, uh, the Napoleonic Code type of system where, uh, where investigations are done by an investigating judge and held in, in, uh, in, in uh, paper files, the, the, uh, these cases are argued in a, in a public way, uh, in a verbal way, and we feel that and I think government of Peru feels that that will allow uh, the best disinfectant of all, which is public attention and air, to, uh, to resolve some of the issues that there are regarding institutionality in Peru. Uh, we also uh, are working with uh, Peru in many areas regarding environment, uh, especially, as I mentioned, in the gold mining area where, the, where mercury contamination is a, is a, is a byproduct of, the, of illicit gold mining. Uh, so there, we just recently signed an agreement with the um, with the uh, uh, with the with the government of, of Peru a, a memorandum of understanding that provides for cooperation in terms of dealing with the illegal mining uh, problem. So those are some of our priorities. Well, I appreciate that. that's a very thoughtful answer. Uh, let, uh, let me just say we have a lot of Peruvian Americans in New Jersey, a very large concentration, and very industrious people, very 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 fine community have been very uh, helpful. I hope at some point when you're back in the States after confirmation, we might get you involved with them to listen to some of their also great investors in their own country, potential investors in their own country, so. Thank you very much for that. And Mr. Senator, I would be delighted to do that. And, then, and finally, I, I want to echo the chairman's remarks about uh, Venezuela. I hope uh, in Peru, which I'm, I want to applaud, uh, uh, and, and for that fact, uh, 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 Costa Rica as well, and uh, I believe Guatemala to some degree, uh, has been good at the OAS. Unfortunately, we can't seem to get our Caribbean uh, neighbors to be as good on the issues of promoting the democratic charter of the OAS. So I hope that you and your, and your respective missions will work with those countries to, number one, to applaud them when they are actually out there doing things that are good for democracy and human rights in the hemisphere, to give them a sense of support of that so that they will continue to stand up uh, at the OAS and to urge them to find ways in which their relationships in the hemisphere are used to also promote at the OAS uh, an opportunity. We're gonna have the Secretary General uh, here at a hearing with the Chairman uh, a little later. And uh, you know, it's not not very normal that the OAS chair, uh, Secretary General comes before a committee. It's an extraordinary opportunity, and I would like to see it amplified by our ambassadors. Thank you all for your answers. Thank you to the ranking member, and I'm not going to be outdone. We have a lot of Peruvians in Florida too, and uh, and so on your way as you're connecting flights, you got to stop in Florida and, and meet with them. Yeah. 
and with Guatemalans and people from Costa Rica. But let me just start with the Costa Rica because there's an interesting angle to it. And it's in the phrase of both the question and asking for an assurance. We have a lot of U.S. travelers to Costa Rica. We have a growing number of Americans who have made it uh, part-time or, or permanent residents in, in Costa Rica, but obviously retain their citizenship and the like. And one of the debates that's going on here in, in the Congress and on the Hill is about these budget cuts. And a lot of times when people talk about budget cuts to state, they, talk, they think we're talking about a, a bloated uh, bureaucracy, and I think even those within the State Department would admit that there's always the need for reform. But part of what we do in our embassies is serve Americans when they're, when they're abroad. Uh, you lose your passport. You want there to be multiple consulates in a big country and an embassy that's well-staffed that can come in and help you out. Um, if you're living there for a significant period of time and have any needs from medical needs to the like, you want an embassy or consulates that are well-staffed and well-manned. And in the case of Costa Rica in particular, we have a significant number of American visitors and people spending months at a time. And so I would just ask your commitment, uh, irrespective of obviously the chain of command, obviously that you need to follow within the State Department, but this is really for all of you, but in particular with Costa Rica, if at any time uh, there is a need uh, for greater such services, it is important for those of us here on these committees to know about it. It's important for us so we can advocate for it. It's also important for us so we can point to it as an example that our embassies aren't just these nice buildings that host cocktail parties, and they're not just there to interact with governments. They're also there primarily, in many cases, to serve our fellow Americans abroad uh, who, who are in need of, of consular services uh, for a variety of different topics. And I, and I start only with Costa Rica because I know the sheer volume of travelers and visitors and increasing number of Americans who have made it home for a significant period of time throughout the year. Thank you, Senator, for that, again, that comment, and it's absolutely true. As we know, in, we're one of the top tourist groups of visitors that come from America to Costa Rica, 1.2 million in last, last year, plus about 160,000 expats that live there full-time as American citizens. So I will make it my highest priority to make sure that all Americans, whether in the embassy staff or team, or our Americans that are visiting or actually have decided to live there part-time or protected and make sure that we have the funds and the mechanism in place and the security controls in place to protect those individuals while we continue to grow the embassy mission. And Ms. Day, the other question on Costa Rica and comment is because of its geography and location, it has also become a transit point for migration. And the volume is significant, and this is actually true for Guatemala as well, but a place where a lot of people wind up because they can't get somewhere else on transit and the like. And, and, and I would also, and, and well, let me ask this, I mean, in your, as you're prepared for this assignment, uh, what, what are your views, what have you sensed are some of the things we can be doing to help Costa Rica? I know you were asked about human trafficking, but in the, and you alluded to it a little bit with some of the UN reforms and the like, but what uh, resources uh, could we be doing, or could we be providing or cooperating with the Costa Rican government to help because uh, obviously many of those who are migrating through are many are headed towards uh, the southern border of the United States and oftentimes have fallen victim to some of these horrifying trafficking groups that, that do horrible things to people. So uh, what is your sense as you prepare for this assignment is what we can be doing to partner with them uh, to improve their capacity? Thank you, Senator. Well, I think to continue to work closely in bilateral relationships with Costa Rica is vitally important, and we've seen that opportunity 
to do that with the, again, whether it be the drug interdiction the, the, to try to help with to stop the transportation and the warehousing that's going on to fight organized crime. Because um, as we know, again, when you have a strong and secure country, it does stop a lot of the issues. We've helped control and worked with them in tools and training and the necessary funding to help with our border security to try to prevent the migration, um, again, following into the United States. They were working with our data team, working with the tools, whether it be three additional Hueys or, again, um, vessels and docking opportunities for those vessels on the Pacific Coast to stop, again, the migration of drugs into country that way. And then, again, to help um, support the issues with the additional vetting for immigrants that come into country to, to try to help them relocate those that have come to uh, Costa Rica for, again, safety. Ambassador Arriaga, I am a, an enormous supporter, as is the, the ranking member of the Alliance for Prosperity. We think it's critical on multiple fronts. First, because we do think it helps with some of the irregular migration patterns. The second is uh, these countries pay, face an extraordinary burden uh, from the trafficking of drugs destined towards U.S consumer markets, so it's in our national interest to be of assistance. What you learn as you engage on these issues is that the three nations, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, have similar issues that they confront. They also have differences among them in terms of some are more advanced in one direction than in another in terms of capacity. In your view, in, in the case of Guatemala, what is the, um, if they were here today with us uh, and, and we were to propose to them, this is where we think we can be most helpful in the short term, what would you say in the next two, three, four years is the most important part of the alliance for us to focus on first in order to increase their capacity to do what I believe and I think I shared with you and, and you share the same view, is their desire uh, to, to make advances of all the components that they need? Is there one or two key areas that we should focus on as we construct the, the future of the alliance? Thank you for your question, Senator, and indeed, I would say that corruption remains the top priority. We, nothing can move unless corrupt, the, you know, corrupt uh, officials and corrupt members of the private sector are removed from what they're doing. That remains a, an important part. The other part I think is very important is to have greater engagement from the private sector. The private sector is part of the solution and there are elements of the private sector in Guatemala that are interested in being part of the solution. So we need to get the private sector more engaged and continuing with a lot of the uh, government reforms. For instance, tax collections. Tax collections in Guatemala are among the lowest in the world. President Morales has appointed a very effective tax director of the tax office and he's already showing some results. So we need to continue along these areas and also discuss with Guatemalans the commitments that they made in Miami uh, for, the, for the various elements of the plan and keep that moving. On the, on the nature of, of Peru, Mr. Ruz, I, I, my, um I'm concerned that with the loss of, of the of Trans-Pacific Partnership, of which uh, is the U.S. participation in it, that the, the hope of uh, some vehicle by which greater economic engagement, even at a bilateral level, uh, is perhaps been set back. I think Peru is a nation that's made extraordinary economic progress over the last few years and has the opportunity to do so much more. Um, irrespective of the decision made with regards to the Trans-Pacific Partnership, what do you view are the opportunities to increase economic engagement between the U.S. private sector and, and that in Peru? Thank you very much for that question, Mr. Senator. Uh, Peru and the United States have a, have a free trade agreement that uh, was, came into force in February of 2009. 
that's actually been quite a dynamic agreement. Uh, we had two-way trade, goods trade, of about $9 billion uh, in 2009. That's grown to $14 billion uh, by 2016. Uh, it's affected, it, we have done very well in that trade. We have about a $1.8 billion surplus. Uh, and, uh, and we've done well in the agriculture sector as well, where we've seen a tripling of our agricultural exports, which is always of great interest uh, uh, in the United States. Um, I think we, the, the agreement, in addition to setting very high standards for market access, intellectual property rights protection, investor protections, environment, and, and labor, also provides for mechanisms for us to work together to try to further expand trade between the United States and, and, uh, and, and Peru. And in that regard, um, I think one of the important challenges for us, actually, Peru has seen enormous growth, as you pointed out, and they've seen a reduction in poverty as a result as well, uh, about a halfway reduction in poverty in, in Peru, a halving of poverty in Peru. The, uh, but what they've seen is there are some pockets of areas where they, where they have not seen uh, the, that kind of reduction. In certain areas of the, of the mountainous center of the country, the highlands, uh, in some of the communities, the Afro-Peruvian community, for example. So one of the things I'd like to do, if confirmed, would be to look at how we could um, uh, use the agreement to and see if there are not some ways to link in to the agreement so that uh, these communities might possibly benefit from the agreement. I think there's an alternative side to that as well, another side to that, which is in the United States, uh, uh, there are also communities that might benefit from the agreement more than they currently do. And there might be parts of the United States, perhaps uh, the center of the United States, which where, uh, where perhaps uh, the demise of companies, uh, manufacturing companies, uh, have have really affected those areas. We could try to see if there's not some way and, to. And I didn't state that. I'm trying. To, I don't want to. I'm not trying to trap you into a position where you're taking on the current administration's decisions. So let me rephrase it this way, because obviously the the existing trade agreement is in place. It, I'll just cut to the chase. My concern is that if in fact Peru continues to move forward on free trade engagement with a region, multiple other countries some of the competitive advantages of our bilateral free trade agreement erode as free trade with other countries become more available. So assuming that that will continue to be the policy for the foreseeable future, I guess the question really I, was, I should have asked, the way I should have phrased it was, what can we do to ensure that we continue to grow our bilateral relationship in free trade even as the Peruvian uh, economy may have multiple other options other than the United States in which to engage in, in, in greater trade. I think you've largely answered it in your answer, but um, the more people they're trading with in some instances and that we're not a part of, uh, the potential for some erosion is always there because of they getting a better deal from somewhere else. And so that's why I think our engagement is critical. You've touched upon some of the unique niche opportunities. Uh, my final question really has to do with the way the region is so interlinked. And that has to do with whether it's instability in Venezuela or, to be, I want to be frank about this, the decision by President Santos as part of the peace negotiation to cut back on aerial eradication, leading to a massive increase in coca production uh, in, in Colombia. It is not just impacting Colombia, it is impacting every nation along the supply line and the supply chain. I think that's true of Costa Rica, it's certainly true of Peru, it's especially true of Guatemala. Uh, anytime you have an increase in production of cocaine, you have to sell it somewhere 
And obviously, the United States is that destination, and we have an internal issue that we need to confront with consumption. But all these countries, some of which, like in the case of Guatemala, have limited consumption, are going to face the pressure as that demand races to meet, or that supply races to meet the demand. Uh, from a, the perspective of that challenge, uh, do you and do any of you have concerns that our existing security, law enforcement engagement with the countries that you're about to hopefully represent our country in, that our existing programs are built adequately with enough resources to confront this additional challenge of a massive increase in coca production that's quickly on the way? And, and I imagine, in large extent, that question is about Guatemala. Thank you for your question, Senator. And indeed, we do have a very effective demand reduction program worldwide. And we always try to integrate supply reduction with demand reduction programs because we do know that anytime you have uh, drug trafficking in a particular area, the potential for some of the, some of the citizens of the country where the, the, where the drugs travel for, for, uh, uh, for becoming dr uh, drug addict uh, is there. So we do have programs and we have the ability to expand them as needed, but, but the answer is uh, a short yes, we have it. Would anyone else care to comment on their particular? Uh, thank you, Senator. Um, again, with Costa Rica and, government and the President has spoke out very strongly about the support of the United States in helping Costa Rica and, and again, gather strength in uh, protecting that border and, and protecting the influence of drugs coming into Costa Rica for transportation. So absolutely, if confirmed, we'll do everything that I can to make sure that we support their effort and we are there. The United States is in a bilateral arrangement with Costa Rica. Thank you. Mr. Senator, uh, thank you for the question. I would just add one point, which is uh, it's unlikely that many of the drugs that are produced in Colombia will, will come towards Peru, Peru producing quite a number of drugs themselves. But, but the, um, what, what is true is that the, an increase in drug production in Colombia will strengthen the, the transnational criminal organizations. And those transnational criminal organizations, some of the same uh, which we are fighting against in, in, in Peru, uh, that strengthens the, the opponents, so to speak. So even in a place like Peru, which is not likely to be uh, the destination of drugs coming from Colombia can be affected in a negative way by, uh, by an increase in production in, in Colombia. Well, um, I'm, out, I'm out of questions, and the ranking member indicates he is as well. I, just for those that perhaps have not been to one of these before, the fact that it's not full of senators is actually a good sign, not a bad one. And uh, we appreciate you being here today, your <clears throat> record of service, your willingness to continue to serve your country. Just as a matter of record keeping, there's going to be a, the record of this hearing will remain open for 48 hours. It's possible that members of the committee may sub submit questions in writing for the record, and I encourage you to answer those uh, expeditiously so we can continue to move forward. Um, with that, uh, and without objection, this hearing is adjourned. <laughs>